Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with something new. Something. It is the first episode of what, Hannah? Nazi Japan podcast. Um, so Hannah, are we going to give a little explanation as to um about our new home? Like, what is our new home about? Like. Just talk a little bit about the new site. So it is all the things that you have come to know and love about RMO Japan, just revamped so that we can offer even more things, like reaching out to some of your favorite companies, cough, 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 Vicky, cough, and trying to offer not just like an expanded collection, but also just more of what you guys have been demanding. Things like trying to reach out to companies to see if they, you know, like to stream Johnny's Countdown or something, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the main thing is that it is everything you love about Arama Japan, but more. And now me and Hannah are in full control. So we get to like make more executive decisions. Isn't that what you would say? basically say it is? Yeah. Because we'd like to have the authority, shall you say. To be like, why, yes, Agency J, we would love to work with you and promote Cough Cough on our website even more than we have previously. We are not shifts. Yes. This is not a paid advertisement, I swear. <laughs> And contrary, contrary to popular belief, there's a popular rumor going around in our goodbye note that I wrote. Uh, there's a popular rumor going around that I would like to say is not true. So um, someone was saying, oh, the reason they started the new site is because Arama had went and did a monetization deal with Johnny and Associates. And Ronald felt as if he was being cut out of it. So he left Wait, the what? site. <laughs> And I'm just like, I uh -huh. wish that happened. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, this is all about money. Ronald's doing this all for the money because Johnny and Associates is paying Arama for all their promo now. And Ronald is being cut out of it. So he is leaving and making his own site. And I'm like, uh huh. What? Nah, dog. I would just like to make it easier to promote. Uh... Perhaps, perhaps we shall we shall call this the the promote the Kenkyuse. If you guys know the term from AKB48, easier on our new website by taking control of executive authority. Yes. So we are now now that we've addressed our new site, we got that all out. If you have any more questions, it's all in our letter. That's the last post on Arama. So we are going to jump right into November of 2022. That is what this episode is covering. So the biggest thing was the announcement of the performers for the 73rd NHK Kohaku Utakasen. So, um, Hannah, there were some rumors you posted beforehand, and the rumors were true. Remember, remember how you were like, I, Le Seraphim, no way, no way. 
But it's been exactly 10 years since K-pop was formally cut out of NHK Kohaku. Twice had to claw their way back in. And now, exactly on the dot, we're back with I, a K-pop. I will, I, I will say this, though, like, before we launch into that. It is a little bit of vindication for me from my theory I had for years that people have been bashing me about for years. Because, like, I don't want to say, like, oh, they're not on anymore. But, like, it is uncanny how this lined up. Um, so one of the acts that was cut from this year's Kohaku was Generations. Generations was the last LDH act on Kohaku. And they're cut the same year that K-pop comes back. Coincidence? I think not. I mean, to be fair. To be fair, I'm going to be completely frank. Like, I don't know if that lined up like one to one exactly, but it is very obvious that they were kind of seen as like a K pop replacement, right? Mm -hmm. And to be fair, other people saw that and was like, I can do that too, right? That's what B first is. Let's not kid ourselves, right? That's literally the stated uh, rationale for B first existence. But it's not LDH just said like, "Well, this is our reason for existing," and then just never improved upon it. <laughs> so, speaking of um, K-pop and B first and all that, let's go ahead and get into the debuts. So. The red team, which is the ladies team, the debuts this year are Ive, the K-pop group, um, Uta, which is really Otto because Uta is the name of her character that she voices in the One Piece film. Not voices, but the she is the person who she is the singing voice of in the One Piece film. So basically, Uta's debut is really Otto's debut. Um, Ma, who I was surprised has not been on yet. Um, um, La Seraphim, La Seraphim, mm -hmm. they're dating. And, um, you have a theory about La Seraphim actually about how this is because people noticed that there were no 46 groups, no 48 groups on anymore. Well, that's not a and theory some, related to La Seraphim, it's actually related to something else. Well, you were saying. You, this is something you said before about how like there are less Japanese girl groups on from the 4648 family because you have mm -hmm. Sakura basically is like that. But well, like that's that's not my theory. Out. It's more you that like HIB traded BTS for La Seraphim, right? Because there's no way after the financial results of the past two years that um they didn't want BTS. But they were just like, well, we can't go because Jin's in the military now. <laughs> so I'm looking, okay, so female debuts. So we had Ive. So I said Ive, Uta, M.A. Um, who else? The Seraphim, oh, and then the Goryoshi band. Rikoku Shoku Shikai. 
Okay, but they are less Goryoshi than freaking Fujikaze. Mr. Fujikaze um, love. So the thing, okay, but the thing is, is that Fujikaze actually has like a hit. He actually has songs people know. Yeah, and I, people I, have had almost hits for like 10 years. I feel like skins. I feel I feel like this band would not be on Kohaku if they were led by a man. I feel like they were just like, oh, the the leader of this band, the face, the voice of this band is a woman, and we need another female debut. So let's just put them in. No, I think there could have been other female debuts that they could have opted for, and they were just like, like who? Like every single Love Live group. If you say so. Um, Not me. The one that follows them, okay. (laughs) The thing is, though, so the thing is, those people were noting about the women's team was a bit odd because like you had the K-pop groups come in, but then you also had like some people who haven't been on in years coming back randomly for it's because of anniversaries, really. So the mm-hmm. two that were brought up the most were Kudo Shizuka and Shinohara Ryoko, who have not been on since the 90s, and now they're back on Kohaku. Okay, but Shinohara Ryoko. We have to say, like, let's be frank. That one is an anniversary play, right? That was so is um Shizuka. Shizuka's the exactly. because it's been it's been twenty five years since Ryoko's like that her big hit with TK. Yeah. So like, and it's the same for both of them, right? So mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider that that surprising. Like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, like, nice. Not, oh, like, this is out of the left field kind of thing, right? So, funny thing is that there was an article that came out talking about how did Shizuka get on. And, like, they completely ignored the 35th anniversary angle. And they were basically just like, oh, um, Akio Nakamori and Seiko Matsuda were rumored to be on. And they couldn't get them. So they just stuck um, Shizuka in instead. She's from the same era. Why not? That's like so rude. <laughs> because Seiko, she has restarted activities after the death of her daughter last year, but she just isn't ready to like be on TV yet. And apparently Akina's just not um well enough at the time to be on the show. Um, but the funny thing is that when Shizuka was announced, there was a large, there still is a large contingent of SMAP fans who hate her and think that she is the mastermind of the group's demise. So they were very unhappy and they were basically like going online and posting, don't show up when it was announced that she was going to be on the show. Okay. They've had a bone to pick with her since the freaking, the freaking aughts. So I... I devalue their opinion. <laughs> so going to the men's side now, we have new debuts, and those debuts are going to be Saucy Dog, JO1, Nani Wadanshi, Vondi, and as you mentioned earlier, B first. Let's be frank. I actually think JO1 
and be first are probably going to get on and do like a BTS medley. <laughs> I don't see that at all. Wait, really? I like, think- I totally no. see that happening. No, no one is going to do a B first medley. No one's going to be, I mean, sorry, no one's going to do a BTS medley. The only people that ever do BTS medleys are like BTS's like Kohai groups and like those like that La Diva group from Music Fair. That's the only people that ever cover BTS songs. No, but I don't think that, like, JO1, for sure, I don't think is doing their own music. <laughs> I think they definitely are. You're on Kohaku. You're on Kohaku to do your own songs, not other people's songs. This isn't effing ass, Hannah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, okay. They're definitely doing their own songs. I mean, like, the thing is, though, is that, like... Like um with B first, their their songs actually have done well digitally. So like yeah, that's justified. Like, and JO1 groups, is one of the biggest sellers physically. All the groups, like as much as I trash on them, right? They do do very well. Mm-hmm. That is that's an absolute. It's just so, really funny every time I see JO one on air, they're yet again getting cut out. <laughs> I think of like a couple of days ago when when friend of the show Tim was just like, "What the hell is this? JO one is doing like George Michael's Last Christmas on FNS, and that's all they're doing." And I'm like, "Oh God, that's not good." But you know, they get their time to shine on Kohaku. Hopefully, they sing um, "Born to Be Wild." personal favorite one of my favorite songs of 2021 yeah it was a good song. so i'll give you that much every okay so the thing with jl1 i do like jl1 i want to say i'm a fan of jl1 but i do like them it seems like every other single i love it every other single i hate it and the funny part is this is exactly why both of your podcast hosts are definitely going to kcon next year Oh my god, KCON, I'm like so excited. I mean, like, if they get like new jeans and eyes and then like maybe just like a Kara mm, and JO1. JO1 and Innie as well. So like I, I this, this is exactly why both of your podcast hosts are going to be at KCON. <laughs> See you 2023. Um, so then people that are returning, um, like some unexpected returns, not really unexpected again, but Kinky Kids is coming back because it's their 25th anniversary. Um, Fujikaze was announced later on that he will be coming back. So that was expected at first, but then he didn't. And so it became unexpected, but he's back now. So um, Hannah, what did you think of like the Kohaku lineup? So honestly, I kind of knew that one of the 46s was going to get cut. And it wouldn't be the main group. It had to be like one of the side groups, right? So that was... Sakura Zaka was cut. Mm -hmm. So that was exactly expected. Um, To be frank, I did expect more anime. But... I had always thought that it would be either anime or more idols. And we got more idols. So 
quite frankly, I don't care. <laughs> it's kind of like I got everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. I remember someone complaining about just like, oh, there are so many like idols on this show. There are so many Johnny's groups. And I'm like, actually, there are less Johnny's groups this year compared to last year. But we get more boy groups in exchange, right? So it's it's not the worst um, trade-off in the world. And when you look at the TikTok trends, it like makes even more sense. So I'm just like, I am actually fairly satisfied with this list. And it's even mm. funnier because I was just like, I always thought it was a bit of a crapshoot on like which of the two Kayaki successors got on the program, right? I thought like it didn't really matter if it was Hinata Zako or uh, Sakura Zako, right? And then. I forgot that for the World Cup, like Kageyama, who's one of the members that I actually posted about, she tends to get a ton of a ton of screen time during any major soccer event. And so I was just like, oh right. Like this might actually be a reason why she got picked. So that made me even more happy. <laughs> I would actually consider her like one of my favorites, like one of my top two. So this is a very good year for Hannah. So um, I'm looking forward to this year's show. Um, but yes, join us at 5 a.m. No, 7. It'll be 7. I think it's 7 p.m. JST, 5 a.m. EST on January. What? No, sorry, December. First, December 31st, because we will be doing our usual live stream and chat. It's like one of our biggest. Yeah. It's our biggest I don't know why Hannah's cheering. She never wakes up for it. I don't. So it'll be Ronald. Woohoo. Maybe I'll catch the okay. tail end. Who knows? It'll be me. Yay. But I love watching every year. <laughs> So, so we are now going to go on to our next topic, which is the day before Kohaku, which is the 64th Japan Record Awards. The nominations came out. So, the Grand Prix nominees. Are you ready, Hannah? Yes. Okay. Jun-Ratsu. Kimi wo yubai shiraitai. Niju. Clap, clap. Wachi Koidaro Hikawaki Yoshi Koshuji Ado Shinjidai The Ice Star Mine Miss Green Apple Dance Hall Macaroni and Pitsu Nandemonayo Be First Bye Goodbye Sekai no Wari Habit what song do you pick, Hannah? Honestly, it's actually really hard. I am not even kidding. It is legitimately tough to think about, like, what makes a good song this year. Or, like, what I would pick to be the major hit for the year. 
Because they have so many options. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and give it to Otto because like literally the rest of this list is kind of just like, I look at this list and I'm just like, where's, where's official Higedendism? That's yeah. what I mean. I, that's I true. mean, where's mixed nuts, subtitle. Official Higedendism being missing is like kind of strange, but the rest of the list is also very solid though. Like, you know, uh, I have issues. Macaroni and Pitsu being here for Nanda Manayo is very odd because they won Best New Artist last year with that same song. Yeah, so but it was also was- like super... The, the virality continued into this year. I don't I remember know. I think it's... Stupid song over and over again when I did the... When I did the tiktok list so i was just like oh okay i just think it's stupid because it's kind of just like it's like when four and one for paprika and i'm just like why are you giving songs for this year's song award to a song from last year like like you miss the song keep it moving like you know it's just uh, the hit is in another year like no it's not because, like, the thing is, those these songs hit the year that they come out. As in, like, it became a, it became a trend or it became viral the year afterwards. Or it continued to be viral in the case yeah. of Macaroni episode. Which is actually something Leave that we have in, like, years. So, good for that. Leave it in the year. Leave it in the year. Nah, okay, I'm, nah. I'm just annoyed. I'm going to give it to Otto. Even though, like, the song, I mean, like, hey, Nakata, I- good for you. I I freaking I'm not a fan of Shinjidai. I thought it was okay, but like her other songs are better. So I would give it to Habit. Oh, Sakaino Orari. I just remember Patrick, friend of the show, talking about just like, oh, the reason why this song is a hit is because all the kids that were so optimistic in middle school about life that were listening to Sakaino Orari, now they're like pessimistic about life and they're still listening to Sakaino Orari. Oh my gosh, it's me! It's me, guys! Pessimism. Pessimism. Anyway, Best New Artist nominees. Um, Ishikawa Hana, Ocha Norma, Tanaka Aimi, Taniyuki. Okay, I've only heard of Taniyuki, so I'm gonna say him. I've heard of Ocha Norma, but I would also still give it to Taniyuki. Because oh, that XY, WXY was uh, very viral. <laughs> I did hear, I did hear of Ocha Norma. They're a Hello Project group, so they're going to win. Oh, right. Yeah, right. I forgot. Because this, this award is sponsored by Hello Project. I just remember... Do you remember one time when um, that, they, that commercial they brought up presented to you by Upfront? <laughs> like they, they awarded the award and then they cut to commercial and it was just like presented to you sponsor, by Upfront. And it's just like, oh, why are you giving? You guys aren't even hiding this. <laughs> um. Best Singing Award, Daichi Miura. Special Awards. Special Awards. Um, 
Ado, M.A. Otokogumi, which is very interesting to see Johnny and Associates at the Japan Record Awards again. Because Arashi was there right before they um, went on hiatus. But um, Otokogumi being there is interesting, too, because I gave Hannah a bit of an information about the Japan Record Awards and... Um, about the Japan Record Awards and Johnny and Associates, and she was just like, "What the hell?" Would you like to repeat it for the class? Um, so part of it is there's two reasons. There's a couple of reasons why um, the company does not participate in Japan Record Awards. One of the reasons is said is because they do not want to have any sort of competition within the company. So um, that's one of the reasons why. Um, so another reason, um, the last time, so before Arashi appeared, the last time a company, a show had, a, a group had appeared on the show was in 1990. And during that year's ceremony, um, Ninja was awarded Best New Pop Artist for their song Omatsuri Ninja. Instead of getting best new Inca artists or best new Kayokoku artists like they originally wanted. Um, but then going back even further, there was an incident where Masahiko Kondo won um, the Grand Prix and someone stole his mother's ashes out of the cemetery, out of the, um, I guess, like the mausoleum where they were kept. And the ashes have never been recovered. Honestly, to me, like the most crazy one is still the ashes one. What the heck? (laughs) The ashes have never been recovered and the culprit has never been caught. Like no one knows anything. And I think that was like in 1987 that that happened. I just want to ask, but why? Like what did his mom do? Um, it was a hater. It was a hater that did it and was just like, his mom's ashes are here. Let's just go for it. Unfortunately. That's so rude. Sorry, Ms. Condal. But going back to this year, um, special awards, uh, King New, Kepler, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Kepler, I think. The Pump, Yuzu, Ishikawa Sayori. Uh, Tendo Yoshimi and Yumi Matsutoya. Then the special international music award goes to 17. So, what do you think of these nominees and winners, Hannah? I didn't realize how big 17 was until you made that post about Oof. how they. Oof, let me go into that now. So, so, um, this is getting a bit of ahead of ourselves because this is going to be more month next next month's episode. But I do believe in November there was a tweet that came out talking about how, on average, they were like averaging all the Johnny's releases by all the groups. On average, every Snowman release sells just over a million copies. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like they have the highest average sales per release. So. I was thinking about how many things Snowman released this year. I was just like, okay, we have Brother Beat, the single. We have um, Orange Kiss, the single. 
we had the last tour's um, DVD Blu-ray, and we had the new album, Snow Labu S2. Last year, around this time, we had another single, um, Secret Touch. And it made me think, by not releasing that December single, did Snowman perhaps leave some room for Seventeen to come in and outsell them as far as revenue goes because um 17 released this year they had their korean album the korean album repackage and their japanese ep the japanese ep did about half a million first week uh the other two releases like i know the re-release did i didn't do oricon the week that that first Korean album came out because I was like on vacation, but it did about half a million as well. I don't know about first week, but like in general, and I know that the first week for the repackage was about 250,000. So I'm just like, maybe they will not beat snowman, but I would not be surprised that 17 ended up being top three, top five in revenue because you have to think with the number that 17's pulling in, they're pulling in like Nani Wadanshi King and Prince numbers now. Which like I actually didn't realize how big they were. I was just like, oh okay, like okay, full disclosure. I am a carrot. Um if you don't know what that means, that means that I am a bit of a big 17 fan. I like their songs a lot. I think they're if you've ever seen them live, they're absolutely worth going to. Uh, they probably have some of the best lives that you can actually pay money for. So you can, and you're somewhat into their music, definitely do go or consider going. Um, that being said, I never considered how big they were in Japan. I always knew they were like somewhere up on the surface, but like... Like, ability to beat, uh, like, King's levels, I, I totally did not see this coming. So, wow. <laughs> so when I was like, so like, I was like thinking about that. I was like thinking, because I did Billboard, and I was like thinking of it. And like, uh, they have, I think that they, yeah. This year on the in year in Billboard chart, which we'll talk about more about next month, 17 has two albums in the top 10. Yeah, and I know you're like, oh, like it's because they have all the versions. No carrot that I know of buys more than two. Unless you are buying for a fan meet, in which case, like that's completely different. And their fan meets are mostly in Korea. I don't think they've ever held a fan meet in Japan. Although a carrot who knows more can probably like correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so tops, like these are all individual fans, maybe buying one or two. So the fact that they are, they're doing these sorts of numbers is like insane to me. Because like, the thing if, is that do... I'm actually surprised that Japanese fans are even buying. Like what the? So, so seventeen's under HPV, right? Seventeen's under HYB, right? I will double check, but I think so. Because they're pledges. Like, I feel like 
I feel like what happened was, was that when they saw that BTS was like winding down, they were kind of just like, oh, let's start pushing TXT. And like TXT didn't really work. But I don't actually think that's what it is because 17 and TXT are same generation. Um, definitely pushing TXT first. And then they started pushing 17 more. And now I feel like they push in hyphen even more than TXT. So I would disagree because I think 17s was a lot more organic. Um, in that it's Pletus. Pletus is notorious for being kind of shitty. After school RIP. Yeah, like after school, all that. <laughs> they are literally one of the most shittiest record labels out there. Um, they tend to succeed in spite of themselves, not because they are Pletus. Fuck you. <laughs> so yeah, like this is definitely just years and years of things building up as opposed to like as opposed to like somebody pushing them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, guys, watch out, and let's see how Seventeen does on Oricon, because I'm kind of just like, hmm, that'll be interesting. But, going to another award show now, we are now going to go into the MTV VMAJ 2022. So, the nominees were announced for this in October, but they had the actual show in November, so that's why we're covering it now. So... Basically, with this show, what they do is that they give a bunch of awards to different, like, categories, and then people vote for the main award of the night, which is Best Video of the Year. So, going down the list. Best Solo Artist Video Japan, M.A., Zankyo Senka. Mm-hmm. Best it's- Solo Artist Video International, Harry Styles As It Was. Best group video, Japan, official Higadandism, mixed nuts. Why was this not on the JRA list? Who knows? But also very deserved. Official Higadandism really took what uh Hoshino Gen spot from like three Ooh. years ago. Ooh, interesting thoughts. Not in terms of, like, they replaced him, but you know that, like... Continuing the sonic sound. The the sonic sound thing, but also that feeling of, like, unmovable pop. You know, because it was, like, Yonezu Kenshi, Hoshino Gen, official Higedondism, right? That's how I see it. Yeah, because Gen has, like, started going more towards, like, kind of, like, a downbeat hip-hop as he started working with Stutz more. There's that, but there's also just the fact that, like, he's not ever-present as he used to be. And Mm -hmm. to be fair, everybody gets to that point, right? It's very, very hard to maintain that level of... Gen had been around for a decade before he got to that level, so maybe he was just, like... I had my Ex- fun. <laughs> Exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Very, very fair. Because, like, doing 15, 15 music shows a week is not fun. 
best group video international, Black Pink, Pink, Black Pink, Pink Venom. You know, when I think of Pink, when I think of Pink Venom, you know what I think about? I think about the place that you would probably hear Black Pink the most out of anywhere in the world at any particular moment, and it was not it was not the moment for them. What? You were at a gay club in Seoul the weekend your album comes out. I should be hearing nothing but that album, and it was not the case. Black Pink has a has a has a touchy relationship with the Korean gays, shall we say? What is a touchy relationship? I mean, like they did play. I heard Pink Venom maybe like twice that weekend, but I did hear like I heard I've a lot more. I heard Girls Generation a lot more. I heard Nyon and Twice a lot more. I heard um, New Jeans a lot more. People are not happy with how they uh, like. Okay, among the LGBT community. The gays are certainly the most conservative of all of us, right? Yes. But even then, even they understand when they've been fucked over by a group. What did Blackpink do to the gays? Because YG is super conservative. And this is something that does not go unnoticed by a lot of the the friend shall we say right and so like as conservative as a gay person might be in korea um you probably don't want to risk the wrath of your patrons right mm-hmm. so i feel like you're beating on bus just be out with it yeah like the fucking traitors okay <laughs> I mean, I don't blame them, but I do blame their agency, right? I I am selling all of my Blackpink stuff for a fire sale. If you want, you know, just DM me or something, um, for a reason. And like, fact of the matter is, this is the closest uh, election that Korea has ever had in its history. So that stupid drama they were a part of uh definitely could have yeah could have made the difference when you're talking about an election that was literally decided within a fraction of a percentage right people are not happy Hmm. okay going back to the topic at hand best new artist video japan i and i rocketeer best new artist video international manance maniskin supermodel i feel like that group's been out that band's been out for like two years why are they doing best new artist now for manaskin maniskin um best rock video macaroni and pizza nandemonayo mm-hmm Best alternative video, Momo Iro Clover Z, Mysterion. I didn't know they were still going. I mean, I knew they were still going, but why? This is so random. (laughs) Best pop video, 
Rokushoku Sakai character? Like I said, this is a group that always floats in the top 10 somewhere. Never makes it onto the consolidated, but you know what? Go for them. That's R&B video, B first, Betrayal Game. Best hip-hop video, Sky High, Just Breathe, featuring three racha of stray kids. Why? Yo, I totally... If somebody told me that, like, uh, K-pop fans, like, hijack this list, I would believe you. And I would agree. And I am a stay. (laughs) Before anybody says anything, I am a stay. Best dance video, Sakai no Wari Habit. Okay, that's best that's collaboration. Best collaboration video, Tokyo Ska Paradise Orchestra, Free, 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 featuring Akuta Lilas. Mm-hmm. Best story video, Creep Pipe, Night on the Planet. Uh, no best, art, best art direction video, King Nu Sakayume. Best visual effects, Fujikaze, damn. Best cinema. Oh my god. Best cinematography, Ninjin Goko. You just hate Fujikaze so much. I don't hate him. I just find him to be like Horiyoshi. Oh my god. Best choreography, the the Rampage, Ray of Light. Okay, special award winners. So all those people, they were the ones that like were competing for video of the year, which went to Sakai no Awari, by the way. Um, so then the special award winners, Inspiration Award Japan, Bish. Why uh, Inspiration Award? Artist of the Year, Vondi. Okay. Vondi is someone, like you said, is always like Hovering, he belongs right? Like, like the like the eleven through twenty. Like he mm-hmm. doesn't have a ten. He doesn't have a number one. But he has like enough songs that are like bubbling under to like make him somewhat of a name. Song of the year, Ado Shinzai. Album like of. I'll accept it. Oh God. Album of the Year, Aimeon, Hitomi Ochiru Yo Record. Group of the Year, Sakurazaka 46. What? MTV, <laughs> MTV Dance the World Award, Iwata Takanori. Best Live Performance, JO1. Mm-hmm. MTV Breakthrough Song, The Ice, Star Mine. Best Buzz Award, I've. Rising Star Award, XG. I don't get how Best Buzz, Best Buzz, and Rising Star and Best New Artists are like all not the same thing. They're kind of the same thing, aren't they? They are. But we have to get four awards for the same thing. <laughs> I guess you could become buzzing the year after you like debut or something. Mm-hmm. 
But you it's... mentioned. Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. I'm just like confused. I'm very confused. But we were talking about just like um, K pop fans and Hijack something that. Yeah. <laughs> me, that reminded me of k-pop fans was the what does gen z like in 2022 ranking uh-huh so um there were different categories this was a survey that was conducted by thin t not the rihanna brand um but like the marketing agency of people between the ages of 15 and 26 gen z so they did a survey and there were rankings and the top entertainer for this generation was snowman's mcgraw run of course then it just completely like i have no complaints there Um, so the entertainer list, it was, um, number one was Maguro Ren, and then two was Nakayama Hinikun, number three was Michieta Shonsuke from Naniwa Danchi, number four was Nagano Mei, five was Hashimoto Kana, six was Suzuka Oji, seven was Ohashi Kazuya, I think he's from Naniwa Danchi too, I'm not sure though, but that name sounds familiar, um, eight was Yoshizawa Ai, Nine was Takahashi Fumiya, and ten was Yuchami. So, artist number one was Otto, two was Naniwa Danchi, three was BTS, four was Snowman, five Ive, six Fujikaze, seven Taniyuki, eight Saucy Dog, nine Yuri, and ten Stones. So, what do you think of that list, Hannah? Honestly, like. I have never seen a more, a more, like, typical list. As in, like, nothing about this list completely surprises, com uh, completely surprises me. Mm-hmm. The one thing, the one thing I've seen people say before, which this list disproves, is that, like, Oh, the Johnny's fans are just like a bunch of old housewives. But that's not true. Like, we've always known that about Johnny's, right? And this is why I think I did get really frustrated with them for a little bit. Where I'm just like, uh, Ronald and I actually discussed them. Uh, discussed this over Twitter. But... Fundamentally, um, there was a period of time in which, in which, like, J-pop was very, very big in the West, right? And that period of time happens to coincide with Johnny's largest wave. Uh, since I don't even know, I would actually consider it like kind of a continuation of the Kimutaku period, but you know, it it was a very very large time, and 
it's just kind of like, okay, where is the Johnny's dominance of all of these new kids on drama? Like, where's all of that, right? And now I'm seeing it again, which is why this list makes me happy. <laughs> um, there was also, okay, so looking at this list, there was like an influencer section, which Otto also topped, which was weird to me. Okay, dramas and movies, like you just said, number one, silent. Mm-hmm. So that right there is like Johnny's. Um, Two, One Piece Film Red. Three, Rapunki Class. Four, Shin Hanen Flag. Five, Top Gun Maverick. That was um, just insane. What the fuck? Six, My Family. Seven, Kurosagi. Eight, Ashita Watashiwa. My Family. Oh my gosh. What? The one anime thing on that list you got wrong. Cries in anime fan. Um, nine unicorn 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 note, and then ten ima watashi tachi no gokuwa. Okay, and then song 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 list. Are you ready for the song list? Mm-hmm. One Ado Shinjidai. Two Sakai no Wari Habit. Three, Siobhi no Campanella Edison. Yes, completely unsurprising. So we talked about this song the other day, and I was just like talking about how I don't like this, this song. And me, I, this dude calls me a hater, and he's just like, I don't think this song sells, even though it has 45 million streams in Japan. Um, 65 million streams in Japan. It has never actually managed to crack the top 10 overall. What? Which several, I would, I would point out. several songs on streaming do, such as like Ado, Ado, Ini, no, Ado, I and I, Higadan, Notori. Like, there's a ton of songs in streaming that crack the top 10 overall. And like, Suyubito Campanella just isn't that girl. Anyways, this hater says, I'm a hater. I also just don't think the production is that good. I thought they were better before. Like, and now it seems like they're kind of phoning it in at times. I'm a hater. Oh my gosh. Four, the super fruit, Shigu Hagu. Five, mm-hmm. Saucy Dog, Cinderella Boy, another song that's always in the top 10 overall. That's from streaming. Um, mm-hmm. Six, Notori Overdose, which I just spoke about. Um, seven, Miss Green Apple, Watashi no Saiku. Eight, Kepler, Wadada. Mm-hmm. Nine, Nyon, Pop. Ten, Hirose Komi, Romance no Kamisama. Honestly, honestly, like, okay, so when you first posted this list, I was just like, oh, some of the songs on here are, um, are like kind of funky but then after posting the tiktok trending list this song liter like this song list makes so much sense to me now mm. right like uh, the romance no kami sama thing didn't make sense to me until i saw the tiktok list and then i was just like oh that makes perfect sense the trending things list. 
one was spy family um buzzwords number one was anya penis gasuki um number one food was yakult 1000 which apparently is like a more potent yakult which i'm just like okay okay cosmetic skincare what do you say totally me for drinking cosmetics skincare and this is where this is where some of the readers got a bit mad um basically number one is the tier tier cushion foundation but the thing is though is the majority of the list is all korean beauty so the people okay, that like three of this list is all korean beauty but like so the few people that actually care about japanese fashion and beauty were very upset because it's just like well if the japanese don't even care about japanese fashion and beauty how are they going to spread it and well how will anyone else care and it's like no one does care it's done and also like the reason for these things going trending is actually because tiktok and uh TikTok and Instagram and YouTube are like very, very big, right? And the Japanese influencers, these are the brands that they're talking about. One of the readers said, it's what happens when there are no fat beauty and fashion icons in a country to look up to. The fashion list is the saddest thing ever. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, I was like, there are trends. They're just Korean trends. Like there are no Japanese trends. Um, and then it just reminds me, okay, what else, what did someone else say? I found the comments on this post so funny. Someone said, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have little to no fashion and beauty icons. Of course, there are trustworthy influencers, but for cosmetics, it's better to know your own skin and preferences and ingredients in the beauty items. Someone replied, it's actually a pretty terrible sign coming from a country who used to be a major figure and in influence in fashion and self-expression a decade ago. The Japanese models, actresses, and female artists are not getting important endorsements or invitations from fashion houses to attend their shows. And if the Japanese public doesn't care, brands won't care about supporting them either. Many magazines and local brands are also going bankrupt. Meanwhile, everyone in the country is wearing Sheen and Uniqlo, which are not only bad in quality and for the environment, but also use forced labor to manufacture their products in Asian developing countries, including child labor. I hate this so much because I've actually seen an influenced, like a huge influx of new Japanese brands. Granted, like the grand majority of them are all by fashion, uh, Instagram and TikTok influencers, but I think this severely undercounts just how big, like, just how big all of these social media platforms are. And I think, I think, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come completely clean. I am totally guilty of being a bit of a hoe for like, for um, fashion influencers in Japan, particularly because several idols have like successfully transitioned into that and not just idols like av stars as well right and a lot of them are very huge so for me this is personal man <laughs> so i'm gonna read the fashion list before i go back to those comments 
because mm-hmm. um the comments make more sense after I read the fashion list. So the number one fashion item, fashion trend was the smartphone shoulder, which literally is like a crossbody pouch for your phone. Yes. Um, arm, arm warmers, down vest, jogger pants, pleated skirt, leg warmers, Uniqlo tuck wide pants, cargo pants, barrette tattooed to on the side of your head and low rise bottoms. So that I recognize. I can't believe this. <laughs> yes, that was that like one of the commenters was just like, oh my God. Some people were saying like, well, the people are coming up with things themselves. And the reader was just like, this is not how it works. Everything we buy in stores, absolutely everything is chosen by someone in the fashion industry. And this is what I saw when I saw this list. He said, Bottega Veneta was the one that started the cargo pants comeback a few years ago. The pleated skirts, the barrettes, the rise bottoms in this list particularly echo how big the Miu Miu spring collection was this year. I was like, that is very true. That is very true. The inescapable crop top and pleated skirt set. That was Miu Miu. Wait, that's from um, this year? Okay, so I definitely saw pleated skirts from like two years ago in so Asia. The thing- that the show the show happened in the fall of last year and yeah once that's the thing. Happened, like they were doing knockoffs you say you say that but like i saw the gauze pleated skirt like years ago was right? it like was it like the pleated skirt like the mimi pleated skirt no, no, no so i'm talking about like um pleated skirts being a thing like the the main pleated skirt that I would consider like the biggest trend in Japan that I thought was super amazing um would be the pleated skirt with like a with like the pretty gauze over cover. I think that's the same one. I think they're talking about like one that's more like because Just the like the same- thing is that the Miu Miu because the Miu Miu set. It was very big in Korea. It was very I I noticed like I was when I was in Korea, like I was just like, oh, there are like a lot of knockoffs and real versions of that Mimi that I'm seeing like on the streets in the stores. It's very interesting. And then so because of the fact that the Japanese youth youth is so like influenced by Korea now, it's just like they're getting the I same knockoffs. Multiple trends kind of like building together because yes, the Mimi set was really big. But pleated skirts were on the uprise, um, predominantly because, like, yes, the Miu Miu set helped, but even as long as, like, four, three, four years ago, there was an uptick of what I would consider, like, pleated skirts plus pleated skirts with gauze, with the gauze overlay, as long as, like, four years ago. Like, I remember my friends going to Japan and me being like, can you guys buy me one? <laughs> when, you... when you come back? Yes, it was pretty okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, going back to the comment, you may think that just because they are not buying from world top fashion meccas, as you put it, that they are choosing individualization when in fact they are just choosing knockoffs being sold in fast fashion companies instead of shopping smart. We are witnessing how... What we are witnessing now is literally the fashion nova, worst type of consumerism based on quick trends where the influencers are YouTubers and Instagram models, a symbol of how fast fashion companies are taking over the entire market and their cheap productions and how personal style is dying. What? And, and then someone wrong? was like, 
YouTubers, huh? Then, the YouTuber fans. Someone was just like, but the youth is all about sustainability and like environmental friendliness. And I was just like, and they're like buying less than in the past. And I said, none of that fits into what made Japan hot in the past. Nobody cared about sustainability then. People were buying as much as they could. And he was, this person was also saying, this other commenter was saying, well, people are dressing for themselves. And I was just like, okay. But the thing is, though, is that a lot of people that talk, you talk about like people 20 years ago dressing for themselves. That wasn't really the case. A lot of people were dressing to get their picture taken and end up in fruits. So I would say the fashion trends in Japan have become less showy. And that's just what happens when people under the age of 40 are don't like, have any money. No, 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 are less than 5% of the market now. Okay. So that's another thing I was, I said to the readers, I was just like, you guys just need to realize that like youth trends are going to be not as big and not as important because like they literally one, they don't have the demographic size and two, they don't have the money. I think it's so, just the demographic size. Like people severely underestimate how powerful, um, how powerful like social pressure is. I have a friend who lives there now. She works there as well, right? She literally will not, for the life of her, wear a skirt that's above the knee. And I was just like, "Girl, like this is insane. Like I don't understand." Um, I don't understand why you won't. And her exact words to me was, oh, it's totally because if you are a girl over the age of 30 wearing a skirt that is above the knee, you're just a hoe. And I was like, that's kind of extreme, don't you think? I was just like, what the hell? But like I say about everything, when people talk about Japan and they're like their youth culture, I'm just like, just look at a, just look at a population pyramid. The people that were like in their teens and twenties, twenty years ago, which was when like Japan was like at its peak for trendiness, that same age demographic now is half the size. Yeah, like, and it's also just like. You just have to understand that at some point, people are just like, okay, like, I'm going to dress my age. And this idea of dressing your age is extremely powerful. Right? Mm -hmm. I love my parents, but they always, always ask me, when the hell are you going to act your age? Right? And like, I am a diaspora Korean living in the United States, so my pressure is literally a fraction of the size that, like, somebody living in Japan is. And if you just look at freaking, like, Anekam or something, it is what you might, you know, see for somebody on Anekam. Like, what is popular today is what somebody in their 40s is expected to wear. Mm-hmm. I like it when, like, the purse, the pressure gets to you and you dress your age. It's cute. What? No. I hate it. 
I like it when we go to nice dinners. We go to nice. You come wearing a dress with like a little clutch. Never, never, can't believe I was talked into doing this. This is this is evil. Society is evil. Okay, speaking of evil things, um, cool Japan. Um, so the thing is though, is that I've said the same thing about cool Japan for years. It sucks. It's pointless. Um, I think that they should have just funded a Rama, uh, and they should have paid Patrick money as well, because like we actually have done more than some of their initiatives have not being cocky, but just like, I am a little bit more bullish on them uh just a little bit but i'm still gonna have to agree so over the years japan the japanese government's soft power push overseas has met with criticism from all corners from pop icons like takashi murakami and ryuchi sakamoto to the intended audience itself me included um so there was an article that came out five years ago talking about how cool japan was a flop and guess what it's still flopping um so the thing is though is that in june there was a meeting about eliminating it or merging with another program if they did not go and get its act together so as of the end of march of 2022 the government had contributed a total of 106.6 billion yen by the end of fiscal year 2020 the fund had lost 23.1 billion in may 2021 the cool japan fund released a plan for improving its business operations and set a goal of keeping accumulated losses at 25.7 billion at the end of fiscal year 2021 however losses increased to 30.9 billion um so basically, they were just thinking of like getting rid of it or keeping it. Um, so there was an article that came out last month, and they were just like, in hindsight, the project looked much better on paper than in practice and performed so poorly that different arms of the government are now at odds at it with each other over its future. Who what? talks about cool Japan now? Korean culture took it over, one senior government official said. I heard we were even struggling to sell Japanese anime overseas. Okay, so so they're totally they're totally mixing a couple of things together here. However, however, I'm not gonna disagree that um, they have actually lost out in the anime market, but that's because uh, the Japanese government has no idea how fucking supply funnels work. That is that that's a separate issue. Um, However, however, that being said, I will say that, like, there's a reason why K-pop is doing well and um, Japan will, I'm not going to say they're going to fail, but, like, they're going to struggle a lot. And the main reason for that is mostly because Korea tolerates Korea booze. But they're never going to publicly say that they hate K-pop. Japan, on the other hand, the last time they did anything like 
fucking anime related. They literally, they literally shoved us under a bridge, I think. Right? That was like the anime town or something. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that's the difference, right? Whereas, like, um, if you've ever been to Korea, the K-pop area of Korea is literally in the trendiest part of town. And it used to be in Coex Mall. Used to have like the the SM Center before it like shut down due to COVID. Mm-hmm. But that is the difference, guys. That's the difference between a country that like, yes, they absolutely hate um the thing that's being exported the most, but they're never gonna publicly say it. Mm. <laughs> it's like Japan will literally shove us under a bridge. The second administration of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, RIP, um, had regarded the Cool Japan Fund as a key to its growth strategy for Japan and poured money into the project. As of March 2022, the government had put 106.6 billion yen into the fund and 24 private sector firms have chipped in 10.7 billion. The Cool Japan Fund invested in 56 projects such as marketing Japanese video content overseas, but most have failed. Together with a private sector company, together with private sector companies, the fund founded Anime Consortium Japan, a company that distributes anime, and Waku Waku Japan, a satellite broadcasting company. The fund contributed 1 billion yen to Anime Consortium Japan and 4.4 billion to Waku Waku Japan. But these companies failed due to the success of rivals such as Netflix. So the government incurred losses by selling its stakes in these companies to private sector at discount prices. The companies then ended their operations. Projects selling Japanese video content overseas, including these two, led to massive losses for the fund, worth some 6 billion yen. According to sources, one of the pillars in the Jap- one of the pillars in the Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry's new plan is expanding the types of businesses it invests in. In addition to companies in the anime and food industries, which were original target investees, the new plan would invest in firms that are making clothing material and startups that develop soy-based alternative meats. We believe the, that Japan's ability to create things is part of Cool Japan, an official said. But that strategy would hamper the government's original purpose for the fund, promoting Japanese culture overseas. Adopting it would leave Japan with less incentive to support the fund. Well, Japan, once a flop, always a flop. It's so, so funny that they're talking about fucking like sustainable, sustainable um, clothing. And yet, Okayama, Okayama? Okayama has like, one of the most famous denim production sites in the world. Mm. But, like, that's never been a focus for them. Right? There's plenty of things that Japan has that, like, if they found anime stuff too hard to stomach, they could have used to promote overseas. So the really funny thing, and like when this article came out, I talked to you about there's this guy. I think his name is his his last name is Ogata. I think his first name is Shinichiro. And 
he basically is just like it's hard to describe what he is. He's kind of like a renaissance man. Like he's a he's into tea. He's into ceramics. He's into like oh instant restaurants. Yeah. So the thing is though is that like he has he has like these different places in Japan that he's created that like are very like grounded in traditional Japanese culture, but with like a sense of modernity to them. And he has like this like Wait, it feels like a department of store. The, of the other the place in Paris. I don't know the name of the restaurant right now in Japan, but like the main thing is that like we're talking international. The main thing is the place he has in Paris. It's like a five-story building in Paris. It's called Ogata. It's named after him. And it features just like you can make your own fragrances. You can make your own incense. You can make your own floral bouquets. He has like a cafe. He has a tea shop. He has a restaurant that's like an omakase restaurant. He sells ceramics and like Japanese art there. It's just like this man was able to do what cool Japan wasn't able to do by himself. Should have been doing, you mean. And, like, not just him. Like, so many... So many other companies have done what cool Japan was created to do but could never do. Like, so I said that I had like a different perspective on uh, Cool Japan, right? And that's because fundamentally, a couple of anime firms did actually use Cool Japan funds, but primarily to like make even more money by bringing a lot of anime guests to the United States. But what made it a little a huge flop, even though they were probably the only branch of Cool Japan doing well, is that you could only apply to the fund three times. If you know anything about entertainment, things don't make money in three years. It takes like five. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was just like, I don't understand this rule. And, like, probably synchronized IP law and made it much easier to, like, you know, uh, license things overseas, for example. Right? Like, that could have been a thing. But that is not one of their priorities. The thing is, though, is that I feel like Cool Japan's never a priority, and they want to just like blame. You know what? It, you know what? Part of me thinks. Part of me thinks that they want to blame us. us. But the thing is that, that the international fans. Part of it makes me think that they want to blame us for the failure. But the thing is, though, is that how often do they actually talk to the fans? Okay. 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 So, this makes me even more mad. Like, I know the kids who used to be into J-pop, okay? They're all my friends from, from high school, whatever, right? But they've made, they've made getting these things so hard, right? I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about, like, 
like the easiest thing to get is probably anime. And that's literally because they understood they understood how lucrative anime can be. For everything else, they've made it so difficult. So it's like just... I don't want to hear it from them. I'm just like screw you. I hate you I mean, all. Like, I mean like once again, once again, I don't mean to like be boastful or think highly of myself. But the thing is though is that like if these different media companies that are in Japan can find us and work with us, knowing that we have a large and diverse readership who is interested in this content, why has Cool Japan never said, hey? Any thoughts on that, Hannah? Man. Man. I'm just, this is Hannah's madge face. <laughs> I, think, I think that Japan would at least have, like, their own website doing what we do. I think they did, right? Did they? I'm, like, sure that they had something. Was it that Moshi Moshi Japan? I have no idea. I would uh I would not want to uh suggest things. But like like that VMAJ the the 88 VMA or whatever MTV MTV website? 88. Yes, that one. Like that one was really good, and then it just disappeared. That was that was that was MTV. MTV created that, and they because eighty is the um, calling code, the country code for Japan. So this was at a time when MTV was like getting really interested in doing international music. So they had like they had a Japan one. They had one for like South Asian music, and like they all like basically died. Yeah. Like, because Patrick wrote for MTV 88. I really, really liked it. Um, not gonna lie, I thought it was excellent, but at the same time, I was also just like, really, guys? Like, hmm. I remember Anime News Network was gonna start writing about idols, and I laughed. I laughed a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was really funny. So, continuing with this whole thing. Okay, so the thing is, though, is that this story... A lot of people thought that this story was like, okay, this story does affect us, but it's not intentionally coming for us, if you know what I mean. Like, we just happen to be innocent bystanders in this whole thing. So this topic is Japan thinking of requiring a national ID to buy and use concert tickets. So basically, scalping has been a big thing in Japan for years. Like we had a story where about is where is it not a big problem? <laughs> oh yes, because you tried to get Taylor Swift tickets and failed. Yes. 
Yes. So this all came to a head in 2016 when Arashi announced that they were going and installing facial scanning technology at their concerts that throughout scalping. But in 2014, Bees, Momo, Clover, Z, and Mr. Children had already started doing this. So basically, in August of 2016, there was a group formed that's called Tin by No. And they took out ads in the newspapers, the biggest ones in Japan, that said, we are against the high-priced reselling of tickets, which is depriving music of its future. And it was signed by 116 musical acts, 24 events, and four music organizations. One of those people was Inflow. And so I talked to Taku about this. And he said that while he advocates for Japanese music spreading internationally, I said that this to him. I was like, you advocate for Japanese music spreading internationally. Yes. But many feel that this group hurts the chances of international fans going to events. And then he said, well, it's hard for Japanese people to even get events to these, even get tickets to these events. However, there have been more acts recently selling tickets internationally. Like when I went to Japan in 2018, a large part of that trip was spurred by Sakan Action saying that they were going to start selling tickets internationally for their tour. Um, Fujikaze also did that earlier this year. Um, so basically, there was a proposal in the government from the digital minister, Kono Taro, of, um, to reduce scalping, requiring the national ID to buy tickets and to attend them, the events. So basically, it would just try to make sure that the person that's buying the ticket is the same person that's going to the event. So basically, it would be seen as like a way of digitizing everything because like when you go and you buy the ticket, it goes and links itself to your digital ID. And then when you scan your digital ID at the venue, it brings up the ticket and then you go in. But the thing is, though, is that if you're an international fan, how do you go about getting a ticket if you don't have a national ID? I mean, like, if you know someone in Japan and they're convenient enough, they could always buy the ticket on their ID and then go with you to the venue and then scan the ticket and then like say they're going to go in. I guess that could perhaps happen. But it's just very tedious. What are your thoughts, Hannah? So I'm going to say that like, my segment of the community happens to be the biggest consumers of overseas like not not saying that like you guys are are small or anything but like it's it's infuriating because i know for a fact that like the main people this hurts are the people on my side literally like the people what? who are willing to pay premium dollars to like go to japan see a bunch of acts that probably don't even want to see them and like 
figure out the logistics of how to pay a freaking how to pay like some sort of tourism agency that will probably rip them off, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, that's my side too. Like my trip to Japan in 2018 was basically centered around concerts. Yeah. But like, I'm saying for every like one person going to suck on action, there's 25 people going to love live. And the worst part is the Japanese government is fully aware of this. And yet instead of like, because this is entirely due to how Japanese music companies sell their freaking concert tickets. Right. Mm -hmm. This isn't like, it's not, um, it's literally not because of scalpers it's because japanese companies find it to be like a quote-unquote failure if you don't sell out in the pre-sale round Mm -hmm. that's why they're doing this and so like it's kind of infuriating to see them put the blame in the wrong section Okay. Um, but the thing I said to everybody was just like, I'm saying the same thing now that I said six years ago, which is just like, use your voice, use social media, like make your voices heard. The thing is, though, is that like a lot of these acts, they don't know they have international fans. They also don't know how this policy is going to affect international fans that they do have. And it's just like, we don't, I feel like we often don't make enough contact to the companies and the acts which you would think we would but we don't um but then the other thing too is that japan being japan this very well could just like die on a scrap table next week yeah yeah because like patrick said too (laughs) because like patrick said too he was when he posted when he talked about this he was just like oh you expect every venue in Japan to install this new ID scanning technology? Okay. That's funny. <laughs> every venue in Japan is, like every venue in the United States is literally on life support. So, yeah. Hannah, we went to a special event in november now becoming a yearly trend yes so me and hannah we attended anime new york in november and we had a special guest um friend of the site i mean friend of the friend of the show friend of the show i mean friend of the show Imani, she was visiting from Japan. It was her first time back in the U.S. since 2019. And we met up with her. We had a good time. Um, it was a lot of fun. I paid for overpriced um, curry don, but... Yes. Besides that, I bought more Johnny's records. <laughs> Literally, I saw... I took a look at the record, and I was just like... 
NSA, I have nothing to do with this individual. <laughs> NSA. Please don't put me on a list, FBI. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. So the two records I bought, I bought, I bought, I bought the seven-inch record for the song that made me change. The song that made me change my perception of the company when I was seeing nothing but like smap and cartoon and i was like these groups suck these groups are horrible and then i saw this video and i was like oh this company actually had good songs back like 20 years ago and that would be shunentai's abc so i have that one and i have something else from the same era which is the one that hannah was talking about which Imani and her friend were kind of just like, oh, why does the company do this? I was like, it's old. And that would be um, Hikaru Genji's Starlight. Great song, questionable cover art. It features a bunch of tween and early teen boys, shirtless, sweaty, and denim cutoff shorts. Great song, though. Okay. I have nothing to do with this. But more about the expo, Hannah, because you were there more than I was. So I have to say, everything... Okay, I understand um, a lot of the issues with, with, like... People were very, very mad that the three-day tickets were... <laughs> They only sold 4,500 three-day tickets, which is very, very unusually low for an anime convention. And they also capped attendance, right? So, like, I understand that people were very, very mad about this. I fully get it. However, that being said, Ronald joined me on a freaking Saturday. And we were still able to walk around the venue. This... Ronald does not fully appreciate, because he doesn't go to anime conventions a lot, he doesn't fully appreciate just how much of a miracle it is that, like, it took me only 30 seconds to get into the Anaplex booth, right? Normally, it takes three hours on a Saturday. So, I really hope they continue to do this, right? But also, there were a couple of changes this year that I thought should continue into the future. So on Friday, I actually had the privilege of being able to go to this tea party at Angelina that was co-sponsored by Yen Press and Kino Kuniya. And I was just like, oh, like this is a very interesting concept, but clearly is targeting like the 1500 milliliters that are always in attendance. And they're so in attendance that like, half the vendors on the floor will always buy or sell some sort of like gothic Lita outfit, right? So I was just like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. So I'm there, I'm like watching them do their thing. And I'm just like, this is like the better alternative to a rave. And if you don't know what a rave is, that's fundamentally uh, what weeaboos do to hang out 
to make up for the fact that we were probably bullied out of regular clubs when we were younger. <laughs> I don't believe that you even went to a regular club when you were younger. I will neither confirm nor deny any of these accusations, Ronald. <laughs> anyways, anyways, it was a lot of fun. And honestly, like the fact that it was a wonderful tea party event with lots of champagne and drinking for like literally just 40 bucks was pretty amazing and like very, very awesome. So that was super fun. And then on Saturday, I had what I thought anime rave should have always been, which is I've always been of the opinion that like there are a ton of anime music that could easily do well at some sort of like rave like club, right? And Saturday proved my point. So I, with a lot of other weebs, were just at Terminal 5 hanging out and listening to a bunch of EDM remixed anime music. And it was like the best thing ever. For me, I was just like, man, this is my definition of a good time. If every club played this sort of music, perhaps I would consider going to clubs more often kind of thing. So yeah, mm. like this year just had a lot of good stuff. Of course, like the fact that the fact that like a lot of the guests were announced so last minute kind of pissed me off, but you know what? They brought Alexandra, so I was okay with it. And that Gundam Expo was a lot of freaking fun. <laughs> Um, one thing that I enjoyed and that Imani pointed out as well, which I pointed out last year, was she was just like, it's very diverse here. So that is something that I've like, I've been rather vocal about this, particularly in the recent years, because I do think that given certain things on the internet, um, some people are finding it more like acceptable to be more racist online, right? But I've always been of the opinion that like without without the diversity that you see at your average anime convention today, anime would never have gotten this large. There is no way that like anything, anything K-pop, J-pop anime would get this large just appealing to white people alone you need like everyone in order for it to get this big and without like the black and brown community like anime would have failed in its infancy you know what this goes back to something i said the other day because even though you were just like well you weren't really part of the community you were like in like this like musical like pop music offshoot community like you because you were talking about like Tofu Records, and I was just like, no one I listen to listen to any of that music. There's no divas there, so therefore it was like not talked about. But even like thinking about like the community I was in, it was basically everyone was either like black or Latino. Like there, it wasn't really like focused on 
white people or Asians. Like there were a couple of white people, but it was mainly black and brown people in this community. Yeah. Where I developed my Japanese music law. The city pomp. The city pop. City pop. Oh my god. Thank you, Imani, for like actually looking at like the the what are they called? Chats? The panels. And her being just like, there's a city pop one. Ronald went to his first uh, anime panel. And granted, granted, okay, so usually city pop panels suck. I've been to like one in the past, and they're not that great. But this one was actually really good. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. first off, the panelists were excellent, right? The panelists were really, really excellent. it was a very diverse bunch. It was actually a group of, they said they were West Coast. Mm-hmm. They're all in California. Yeah, they were a bunch of West Coast DJs that normally do city pop streams. I am so sorry. I am forgetting your name. I really want to promote. They do have like club events too, like out West. Yeah, I I just want to remember their... If we figure out their name, or if you know who they are, please mention it in the comments, because I'd like to promote them. Um, but yeah, it was a great event. They knew so much. And the best part was, at the very end, they had this like little trivia section. Oh where my god, I do not that up. That, what, that part actually made me the most happy, even though all three of us lost. So for those of you who don't know, Amani basically works in the J-pop industry right now, right? Ronald is an 80s, 90s aficionado. And I am not what you would consider, like, just like a surface level person. I wanted to say what one of Imani's special features is, <laughs> and like, which would make some fans very annoyed, is that like, I called Imani the English killer. <laughs> because it's just like because like the thing is though is that some of the companies now are just like oh like i mean it's it, I, how do i how do i say this it's like it's kind of like she's a black woman from the u.s and so they see her and they just like oh you speak like, english. Oh, she english we have english lyrics could you like look at them and make them make sense and she's like yeah sure and that's what she does now that's part of what she does. That's part of what she does, right? So, like, by no means are we completely uneducated, right? In fact, like, you would expect us to win. No, every round we got our butts whooped by someone in the crowd. And there was, like, one moment that I especially remember because it was so clear this girl had come with her parent, right? She was probably, like, either a teenager or a high schooler who had come with her parent. And... Within a second of the song playing, she like immediately raises her hand and gets it right. And I was just like, yo, anime's future is bright. <laughs> so this the, the, the people, the people that were doing the panel, their name is Love Talking, which I should have remembered because it's like my favorite city pop song ever. Um, Yamashita Tatsura Love Talking, which is something they also yeah. played in the um thing in the trivia game, and I lost. I lost, like, literally, like, it was just, like, doing, doing, and I was, like, oh, I, I lost. Okay. Okay, yeah, I lost. Yeah, that's the one that you lost the high schooler with. Yes. 
because like the, the as like, soon as the song came on, I was like, ah, I love talking, and like I lost. And you literally lost like a second, a split second after the freaking high schooler raised her hand, and her mom was like, "Very good job," and I was just like, "Man, if high schoolers in the United States are recognizing these like very very good but slightly obscure city pop songs, like." Man, our future is bright. <laughs> funny thing, the funny, okay, not the funny thing, it's not funny, but the thing is, though, the thing that I really appreciated about the City Pop panel, oh my God, so much writing in the West about City Pop is very much focused on um, the white musical acts that they say inspired City Pop. And as mm-hmm. someone that listens to a lot of city pop and that listens to a lot of music from that era, it never really made sense to me. And they like, interviews about the era because yeah. the creators are very explicit that it wasn't the white acts that they cared. Like about. the Beach it Boys, was- the Beach Boys. And it's just like, why do you keep talking about the Beach Boys? Like, no. And they like, set the record straight. They were very explicit about it, literally in the first three pages of their presentation. They're like, it was not the Beach Boys. It was like, it was black, primarily African-American musicians that they were either coming to Japan or they were, or the Japanese acts were going to the U.S. and they were recording. And it was just like, it basically, City Pop is in large part a localization of african-american music from the 70s and 80s and it's really funny because they were actually showing a ramu video and they were just like it was on all levels it was just like the singers like the background singers the um songwriters the producers the instrumentalists on the songs like so many of them were african-americans and imani was just like shaking her head like "Mm -hmm, yeah 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 Cause that's what she does now. Like 40 years later, that's what she's doing in Japan now. And it was just so great because they didn't. So my gripe with most city pop panels is that they'll usually stick to like the most popular ones. Right. If I can name every act on your city, pa- uh, city pop panel, there's something wrong because I would actually consider myself more of a tourist. Right. So that's to suggest that like, I'm not very in-depth with the movement. If I can name everything, you have a problem, right? And so the fact that they went super in-depth with the acts, with like their recommendations and everything, fantastic. It was to the point where I had to take photos of like the the, um, presentation because I was just like, let me go look at this because I actually had not heard of this. Yeah, and so like, if you guys can definitely follow their Twitch channel, I think they mentioned that they actually do city pop streams on it. So they, perhaps like we'll promote it or something. But yeah, that was that was a really fantastic panel. So we have opened up the lid, and we are now descending into Hannah's hellhole. <laughs> well, that was already part one. It was a bridge. Let us go into multiple parts. So, uh, my VTubers, huh? 
my VTubers were not keeping very quiet during November. So at the November, at the end of November, I got one of the worst November surprises of the year when Axia Crone mentioned that he would be leaving Niji Sanji, which was like literally. So for those of you who don't know, he is affiliated or he was affiliated with a company called Niji Sanji. Um, his generation is actually called Edengumi. And they're probably one of my favorite groups of VTuber livers uh, in the company. And literally November 30th, I get a pinged message that he would be graduating effective immediately. And I was like, what the? F I'm not even going to get a goodbye stream? <sighs> so sad. You know what? You know what, aunties? This is what being an asshole gets you. We lose our our streamers when you when you continue to be assholes. And the exact rationale was explained as they had a difference of opinion of like what the company would like him to do and what he would like to do. And so like that was effectively the main reason why he was leaving. And I could sort of understand because I bet that he probably either wanted to re-debut or something as a more masculine model so that he would stop getting the type of harassment that he had been receiving thus far. But man, this sucks. Huh. What type of harassment receiving? So um he axia crone was knowing for having kind of like this slight to use your language it was slightly twinkish model right mm -hmm. and so every time he would stream he would always get comments like oh you're such a child or like um like i think you're so cute or something and like the thing is, guys don't actually like being called cute, <laughs> right? Hey. And so you have to be kind of careful when you're calling somebody cute and they obviously don't like it. And so it really got to him, unfortunately. And I guess, like, they just had a lot of differences in opinion as to, like, what he wanted to do in the future. <laughs> Continue with your next topic as we descend down the ladder. So, and of course, all of the commentators come out of the woodwork when it comes to an AKB48 scandal. Oh, gee. Oh, gee. So, early November, uh, one of my favorites gets caught in a dating scandal, which would not normally be that big of a news, but because it was Okada Nana, unfortunately, it was big news. And a lot of people were like, why are you fans getting so mad that she's like dating someone? Like, shouldn't you be happy for her? 
It's because you guys don't know the entire story that you can see this. Um, so I read the Unseen Japan article on it, and it was, you know, slightly better researched than most. But what I would say is that what it didn't mention is that when Okana Nana made that speech during the Suto Lirika like scandal where she was like, oh, I'm going to get married, right? During Sosenkyo, if you guys remember. Um, the only person to come out unscathed was Okada Nana. Everybody else received some sort of punishment for saying effectively the same thing. And so when Okada Nana is like, because of the kind of scandal I've effectively like the the trouble that i've caused like i will graduate um part of me was really sad because i i really like okada and i still like her now and i do hope they get married i think the couple's very cute um but at the same time i under also understand why she feels guilty right that scandal took out at least five people. And by take out, I mean it effectively ended their careers. Not because they were the girl getting married, but because they had the quote-unquote audacity to say, wow, fuck you for doing this, right? Which is, like, very strange, right? You would think, like, they should get rewarded for being like, this is so stupid. <laughs> But no, that's not what happened. A lot of people got super punished for it. And um, Okada Nana was the only one who wasn't. And everybody else who was punished for it effectively left within six months of that. So, yeah, it was... Wasn't you the center for like the single you gave me? Yeah, the single that you like. She's been center for now a number of songs that I really like. Um, I think so she's the really... Song, the song is Jabba Ja, and you yeah. said the song sucked, and I was just like, I like it. It's like a disco song at half speed. <sighs> it's not the song that I want for my girl. She's amazing. The song that Honda Hitomi got is the song that I would have wanted for her. But you know what? I got Nimohamo Rumor, right? Which was the song that I wanted for Okada Nana. So I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm just really sad that she's not... Well, it's still like TBD. She might still get um, a proper send-off single. I hope they do because I still really like her. But yeah, November, sad month. <laughs> what else do we have in this hole? Oh, man. How much time you got? But yeah, I would definitely say, like, there were a lot of announcements at Anime NYC. But what was really surprising was the continued, like dominance 
of Korean webtoons in the market. There were more webtoon announcements announced. More webtoon publications announced, which wasn't particularly surprising. But what was surprising was the fact that, like, first off, some of my favorite publications were picked up. Some of which were will be featured in Otaku Picks. You should definitely read. But also, they had actually produced the anime for. A series besides solo leveling, which was very shocking to me, because I was just like, "Oh my gosh, is this anime for reals?" So, in that sense, yeah, I was really sad about some of the graduations, but you know what? Time will still go on. So yes, that concludes Hannah's hell hellhole. <laughs> So, um, we are now going to go into favorites. And I'll start first because you just ended your your portion. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, our last episode was our special episode about Johnny and Associates and all the drama going on with, uh, in large part, with King and Prince. So, um in that episode, we said they said they were breaking, they were losing members on the 4th. And on the 9th, they released their new single, uh, Sukiyomi Irodori. And it did really well, as expected. It did even better than anticipated. Because normally a King and Prince single does about 500,000 first week. This did 800,000 first week. Almost double numbers. Yeah. Um, and since then, it was, since then, it, it's at about a million now. It's almost at a million, if not there yet, because, um, Oricon that came out last week, it, the single was back at number one with over a hundred thousand copies. To be frank, so, like, King and Prince is the group that I call like the true Arashi successor. So, <laughs> this does not surprise me in the least. They deserve these numbers. So, the thing is, though, is that when I first heard Tsukiyomi, I was just like, mm, um, hmm. I was just like, okay, I actually, the comment I left on Arama was, it gives me Eurovision Balkan entry. Because, like, the song, it has, like, it has like this like Latin like Mediterranean feel to it. And also like the video was kind of just like a bit odd. I was like, why are they all like so hot and sweaty looking like they're at like a club with no air conditioning? It was very weird. But then like but then I did get more into the song after listening to it. And I was just like after listening to the full thing, I was like, oh, this is actually like really good. Like it does very it very much has that like that Latin Mediterranean feel to it. I very much enjoy the song. Um the other B side, Irodori. Um so the thing Would about you like this to song say to the class what you said <laughs> today about this song. I was just like when people saw the video, when people saw the video for Irodori, even if you can't 
speak Japanese. Looking at the video for Irodori, it kind of was foreshadowing. Because the video centers Kaito, Takashi Kaito, who is staying in the group. He's the center of that song. Um, and all the other guys come in and like Kaito's like taking pictures of them and like they're all doing all these group shots together and like laughing and smiling and like taking photos together. And it has like this fuzzy granular quality, like it's a memory that Kaito will cherish for the rest of his life. And then like the song ends and he's like kind of like, it's a bit bittersweet. And I'm just like, oh, this was foreshadowing. This was foreshadowing. This I'm literally like, in AKB48, like, so all the graduation songs are like B-sides, right? Like the formal graduation songs for the, for really, really popular members will always be a B-side. Right? Like Yume no Kawa or something. This literally, the way that you're describing it, Sounds like the B side, the B side graduation. And the other thing too is that it just seems like, because like my personal favorite member in King of Prince is Kaito, so like I'm happy he's not leaving. Um, but it just seems like recently he's been getting more lines in the songs, and then so like Irodori. Oh. Basically, being kind of like Kaito featuring King and Prince in a way is kind of just like, hmm, people should have saw this. Well, you wouldn't really think that they were going to break up, but like in retrospect, it looks like a breakup video. Is this hinting at something? But then again, like I feel like Johnny's fans are super, are super, um, I don't want to call them like privileged in that most Johnny's groups just don't split up. But when they do, it's always something super terrible. Like someone's leaving the agency for good or something. Right. So I can understand why fans didn't want to think about that. <laughs> if you get my drift. Mm hmm. And then there is um, one of the B-sides. One of the B-sides is like one of my favorite songs on the single. And it's actually not a new song. It is not a new song. It is a song from a couple of years ago. So um, the song is called Misbehave. And there was a um, B-side voting project that was attached to their 28, October 2018 single Memorial. So you got to like pick a song that would be their next B-side. Well, they actually fulfilled it like four years later on this single. And the singles misbehave. And it's like a nice, fun, like of that. It sounds like a song from that time, but it's still fun. Like a nice, like fun, like dance pop song. Like almost like a tropical house. Yeah, it is like a tropical house song, basically. We released Cinderella Girl. You cowards. Knowing Johnny's. Knowing Johnny's. There's going to be a lot of King and Prince releases in the next few months. I would like a special 
a special edition of Cinderella Girl. If you guys are listening, I'm just saying, just saying. I mean, it was, I mean, it was their fifth. It's going to be their fifth anniversary. Three of the members are leaving. So like, I mean, it's going to be their probably, anniversary. Oh my God, shut up. Um, it's probably going to be. <laughs> no, King and Prince is continuing wow. with Kaito and Ren. Shouldn't be laughing. They were my favorite group of the new group. So, so there's probably going to be a best album. There's probably going to be a tour. I hope there's a tour because I hope somehow I'm able to go. Um, but yeah, that was one of my favorite releases of November was the King and Prince single, Sukiyomi Irodori. And then um, this basically is turning. This is the Johnny's Corner, by the way, for the month. Um, another Johnny who um, who is used to disbandments now somewhat would be Ken Miyake of V6 formally. He released his first mini album in November called New. It's basically the, the word new, but with three W's, hence new. Um, the release's theme is changing what the stereotype of an idol is with new values. So I like Ken. Interesting voice. Um, very like nasally, like very nasally. Um, but he's always been interesting to me. And so this release, when I saw who was attached to it, I was just like, oh, this is very interesting. So he was working on this release with the band Dan, who I love. Also, Toki Asako, who I also love. Um, Tinder and Butaji. Also, Yan Yan and 80 Kids. So it was a very... It was surprisingly experimental for a Johnny's act. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, oh, like these are not normally named. Well, well, Asako, she's normally, she works with V6 a lot, which makes me think this is probably Ken's doing. Because like Asako is kind of just like city pop adjacent jazz pop. Like, you know, like I'm 40. This is what I listen to. I drink wine kind of music. Juju light. That's how I would put it. Oh, so like bar snack, like snack bar mama. Similar. Light. Like if the snack bar was not on like the fifth floor. If the snack bar was on the first floor, had open French doors and windows with like burns. No, no, no. You have to understand. Snack bars are all second floor or higher no just this is not that kind snack of snack bar, bar. uh-huh uh-huh press x <sighs> so yes so the thing is though is that it was a very experimental release for the company i mean i liked it in general because like i liked so many of the acts that were attached to it i really enjoyed it um something interesting that happened in the first song destination when i was like the promo single for it um, it has lyrics in Japanese and Korean, which I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. Also, 
is this like a general theme right now of just like collaborations? Because like this next release, which was also one of my favorites, um, is the Shino Ringo remix album, Hayaku Yaku no Cho. And I remember when the first song came out from this, which is a remix of Machu, Machu, Maru no, oh my God, I can't speak, Maru no Uchi Sadistic. It was, the remix was done by a Korean DJ named Miso. And I sent it to Hannah and I was just like, oh, is she beating the nationalist accusations with this? And you were like, Ringo actually worked with a Korean? I was like, yeah. Yeah, but look at the song title. Oh my god. Would you like to tell the class what the song title is? Maronouji Sadistic? No, 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 no. The song that she worked on with the Korean. Maronouji Sadistic. No, there was an exact other one that she said. No. I'm looking at the track list right now. I think it was on her YouTube channel. Oh, I'm like looking at like the track list from the article that I posted. And it says like Maranuchi Sadistic in in kanji mixed with katakana. And then it just says like the title in Romanji. Oh, because I Uh, thought Red like... Oh, I like this better than K-pop. And I was just like, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm from. Okay. That sounds exactly like you. Anyways, slander. My bad. Apologies. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> she called so, it a mix. Okay. Okay, Ringo. So she had a few different producers work with her on this like deep producers djs so shinichi osawa stutz kid frisino representing japan and then like from the uk giles peterson and object blue and from the u.s she had telephone tel aviv and then from south korea she had miso so my favorite remix on this is um the remix that yoshinori sunahara did for one of my favorite ringo songs which is uh JL005 Bindet, which is the call number for the flight for JL, Japan Airlines, it is the flight that goes from New York to Tokyo um nonstop. So actually funny enough, when I when we were getting when I was about to go to Korea, that flight was actually next to the flight that I took to get to Korea. And I was just like, oh JL005. I will go on you someday when I am no longer traveling on ANA just to see what all Nippon, just, just to see, just to see what Japan airlines is like, because whenever I meet a Japanese person that I'm like, I go on ANA and they're just like, you do. Why? Dallas and I'm great. like, I'm for, like, well, you, I'm like, Oh, I don't know which airline to take. I love gel. Um, not to say that ANA is bad, but like for some reason, I just, find myself on JAL a lot more often. So the thing is, though, is that every time, like I said, every time I tell a Japanese person I take ANA, they're just like, why? Uh, because they all take JAL. But the funny thing is that internationally, like, 
it's not a competition because NA ANA is like the start. Hannah, everyone knows. Hannah knows this. Everyone knows that knows me knows I'm like very obsessed with airlines. And like when they have the airline awards, yes, it's a real thing. They have it every year. Skytrax airline awards. They list the top 100 airlines in the world. Every year, ANA is number three in the world. Only behind Qatar, Singapore, or Emirates, depending on the year. And like, that's actually a very, very uh, amazing amazing like group to be coming third best to yeah exactly like singapore qatar emirates are the only people beating you okay yeah and i was like i was like when i go to japan i'm gonna go on ana because the only people that are better than them are singapore qatar and emirates and i'm like i went on ana and it was amazing my best friend came a few days later he i booked the flight for him i was just like give me the money i'm gonna buy your flight he landed at Haneda and I met him and he was just like, what was that? What was what? Was what? He was like, that flight. Like, yeah, ANA, it's amazing. But um, going back to Ringo, JL005Binde, the remix, it just adds like a bassiness to it. And like this, like, it's a quicker tempo. And I really enjoyed that because the original was kind of like very like smooth and jazzy. And this one made it like a bit like, more electronic almost glitchy but overall it's like a really good remix album like you get to revisit some of her songs and like see them in new light so yeah go ahead and listen to it hannah what were your favorites for the month okay so anyone who follows my twitter account would know that it's mostly vtubers but there's one time of the week when i tend to go nuts and that happens to be the day when Denumbu drops their new release. Because they've, they've basically kept up weekly. And last month, I had, been, I had been praying without ceasing that I would freaking get the new Shinshinjuku uh, GR group. And I was like, when are you guys going to announce this fucking group? They are so my thing. And I got it. Last month, all of my prayers were answered. And goddamn, it was worth the wait. Their first release was a song called Kingen. And I did not know. So there was a girl who used to be an indie idol. And she went into a little bit of hip-hop and rap. And she was doing a bunch of talent things, but, like, it never really took off steam. And I didn't realize that she was actually trying for Denombu until finally Kingen releases. And I'm like, holy shit, I recognize this girl. It was such an amazing song. Um, the idol community in Japan actually holds their own, like, music awards every year. And even though this song had only been released for a couple of weeks, it was actually one of the top nominations. So definitely check it out. Shin Shinjuku, Kingen. I just could not get enough of it. I think I've played it 150 times at this point, if not more. Um, do consider 
checking it out and playing it as much as possible because it's only at 42,000 plays. Um, last month, we actually had the full drop for Idolmaster. They actually started at the end of November and they're continuing now. There was a little bit of an issue because, unfortunately, like, unfortunately, they only released game editions for some. We were all just like, what the fuck? Why? Um, but still, we have Idolmaster. And that is amazing. So go check out the Idolmaster releases. Side M actually released all their stuff in full. So like full length. Instead of doing the shitty, shitty like game versions, which are only a minute and 30 seconds long. Um, but yeah, go check it out. Amazing stuff. Denonbu, Shinshinjuku, and Idolmaster. Yeah. Okay. And Hannah, do you have any last words for our readers or listeners this month? Thank you guys for sticking around. Like so many of you guys came over with us on the new Thank site. You. It was really, really nice to see. Like, honestly, I was actually kind of afraid that everyone would ditch us all, but they didn't. And I was like, they oh, they came. They really came. So, yeah, thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we do have we have a couple more episodes coming out this month. So, yeah, yeah it's you a just got to stay. But that is always case stay with tuned. the year. Yeah, the end of the year. Oh, it's like my busiest time at work. And then, like, my busiest time for, like, this side thing and it's just like ah but in january i go on vacation you say that but like the heaviest time for for all the drama always literally the week after kohaku because it's like bunshin just waits well you'll be on top of that or i will be on top of it in with with hopefully i have wi-fi on this trip yeah um but thank you everyone for listening and thank you for supporting us when we were at arama and thank you for supporting us now that we're at nonte and just thank you everybody and we will see you guys in a couple of days because we have no more episodes coming out but um yeah thank you good night thank you good night